the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Okay, so this is still in the temple port area there in Jerusalem. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Notice that, please. Nothing about the vessel. Nothing about the vessel. He said, this isn't us. Oftentimes, we volunteer to serve out of a need to feel like we're doing something for God, like we're earning our place in His kingdom. We're only His children because of His grace. When He enables us to do great works, even miracles, it has nothing to do with our own abilities. It's not because we're better than others. It's all for His glory. Today, Pastor Gary will remind us just how important it is that our acts of service come from a heart of gratitude pointing all glory and praise towards our Savior. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let me tell you what happens when you become a believer in Christ, first century, and you're a Jew. You are instantly shunned and rebuked and alienated from your family. Your family disowns you. Orthodox Jews, even today, strict Orthodox Jews, especially the Hasidic Jews, if someone from their community, a Jewish community, believes and accepts Jesus Christ as Messiah, they have a funeral for you. That's how much they disown you. They shun you. So you're a Jew, first century here. You believe in Jesus. You're now shunned by the Jewish community for, for the most part. You, nobody's going to come buy any of your products at your business. You're, you're going to go out of business. Uh, nobody is going to sell you anything. You're going to become pretty much destitute. So what the early church did here was they pooled their resources for the sake of survival. This is not socialism here. This is survival. That's what's happening. They pooled their resources together because they were out of jobs and they were out of work and they were out of income. And so they, they did this as a means of survival. And the fact of the matter is that the Bible teaches and puts strong emphasis on having a good, strong work ethic. In the Bible, it tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Okay? So... I know that there are a lot of times people get laid off and they lose their jobs and, and it has nothing to do. It's just unfortunate. But for, for those who are just sitting around and they don't want to get a job, 
The Bible says if you don't work, you're not going to eat. So it puts an emphasis on strong work ethic. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate household, he is he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. King James says an infidel. You know how that word is thrown around today about the infidels? The Bible uses that word for somebody who does not provide for his own family. So there is a strong emphasis on having a good work ethic. This verse in verse 45 of chapter 2 of Acts is not trying to encourage socialism and just pull your resources together. It was encouraging survival because of the day. But it fostered a spirit of generosity towards others. Um, And, you know, by the way, that said... Even though the Bible doesn't encourage a socialistic lifestyle, if somebody feels led by the Lord to, you know, end up selling all your possessions and giving it to the poor or going on the mission field or, you know, supporting whatever, I mean, that's, that's, that's between you and the Lord. I'm just saying as a pattern. You don't see this repeated in the rest of the New Testament. So you, you can be faithful to the Lord and give all your stuff away. I'll, you know, I'll give you my address if you want. But, uh, but other than that, it's not suggesting a pattern here. It's just uh, what they did out of survival. It also tells us that they in, in, it produced friendship among the body. Verse 44, all the believers were together had everything in common. Verse 46, every day they continue to meet together. So you see the camaraderie and the friendship. And then verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were rejoicing and they worshiped the Lord. So that is what was happening here in the early church. Very important verses there at the end of chapter two. Let's head now into chapter three, because when you get into chapter three here, you find a first among first. This is going to be the first time that Someone other than the Lord Jesus, after he has been resurrected and ascended, this is the first miracle of the early church. And another than Peter gets to be the vessel who is used here by the Lord. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. So that's what I referenced earlier, the time of prayer. There were three times of prayer, 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m., if you have a King James Bible, it says it was the ninth hour. Um, they, they would start the, the clock at 6 a.m., so the ninth hour is 3 p.m. So this is 3 in the afternoon. That's what the rest of verse 1 says in the NIV. And verse 2 says, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When, Peter, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So first miracle of the early church, Peter and John here come upon this man. The Bible describes crippled from birth. It'll tell us later in chapter 4. 
verse 22, that he was over 40 years old. So he's over 40 years old, crippled from birth, never walked in his life. And this was his common posture, sitting there by the gate beautiful, begging. Because the only way you could survive in that day, if you had some infirmity like this, was to beg. And so you're just panhandling. You're just asking for people. And you'd sit traditionally by a gate, by a main entrance to a major city. And here we are, Jerusalem. It's the gate beautiful. And as people would come through the gate for you to be able to beg from people passing through the gates. He's sitting here at the gate beautiful. Now, most scholars believe that the gate beautiful is another term for the golden gate, which is also known as the eastern gate. This is the gate that faces the Mount of Olives. This is, by the way, the gate that the Lord Jesus will enter in when he returns at his second coming into Jerusalem. Today, it has been boarded over. It's been bricked up uh, by the Muslims because they know Jewish scripture says that Messiah will come and being a Kohen, a priest, he will come through that entrance. So they boarded it up and they placed in front of it a cemetery because in, in the strict legalistic view of, uh, of Jewish tradition, a priest would never walk through a cemetery because that would be unclean. So they put a cemetery there hoping that's going to keep Jesus out. I don't think so. Be that as it may, that's probably the location here, the gate beautiful. Now, um, he's sitting here begging, and Peter and John come along. Uh, this, this guy uh, looks straight at them. Peter looks straight at him. It says there in verse 4. And the man thinks, great, they're going to give me some money. And Peter ends up here saying, I don't, I don't have silver or gold. I don't have any money. I don't have any cash. Don't look at me. But, because I've already pulled my resources together, so I don't have anything to give you right now. But such as I have, I give I unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And, it, and he takes him by the hand. And the Lord does this miraculous, can you imagine like every ligament and the bones just kind of snapping together as he kind of stands up to his feet and, and everything that was crooked and bent becomes straight. And for the very first time, you're over 40 years old and you start walking. He's not just going to walk. He's jumping and leaping and he is praising God because he knows that this is a miracle. Now, I want you to ask yourself, if you had been Peter, think for just a moment what's happening here. You've just experienced this thing from chapter 2 about the infilling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. But you've never really operated in the gifts of the Spirit in terms of, like, healing. So, you know, I don't even know that he knows if he has this gift. I don't even know if he knows confidently that God's going to respond to what he's wanting to do here. This is kind of, so I'm kind of envisioning, now, I'm sure that wasn't like this. But I just kind of have this in my head where Peter's just kind of like, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Oh, I hope this works. <laughs> I've never done this before. Why don't you take my hand? I'll give you a little head start, you know, and so pulls him up a little bit. But I, if that were me, I would be standing there going, oh, dear Lord, please don't let me look like a fool here. I want you to really shine, Jesus. You know, I don't want to end up looking like a complete idiot here. I just told this guy to get up and walk. But, you know, it doesn't say any of that. So perhaps probably Peter is more of a man of faith than I would have been. But I would have just been maybe with one eye open as I'm making his prayer. Oh, please, dear Jesus, let it work. And it, and it works. God glorifies himself through the healing of this guy, and he gets up and, and he's healed. Now, this becomes another opportunity to preach the gospel. 
Because when this miracle happens, the people around are like, wow, this is pretty crazy. It's pretty incredible. This is the same guy who used to be panhandling at the gate. And Peter's like, yeah, right. And so from verse 11 through the end of the chapter, it's a sermon. And you're going to notice here it's very similar to what he preaches in chapter 2. It's very evangelical, very similar. Let me just read through it to the end, and then we'll come back and focus on a couple of things. Verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Okay, so this is still in the temple court area there in Jerusalem. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? Notice that, please. Nothing about the vessel. Nothing about the vessel. He said, this isn't us. Okay? It really concerns me some, because I believe in, in all the, the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit too, and sometimes it concerns me when I see some TV evangelists who make it about them and not about God. But anyway, that's my own issue. Pray for me. So he says, um, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or guidance we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. This is strong. This is very strong here. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Very strong language. He he doesn't hold anything back, okay? He's taking a few punches here. He's hitting them hard. He says, you know, and there's a lot of emphasis on you, okay? Uh, you know, he's violating the law of, of, uh, of, of trying to have respectful disagreement. You know, how you, if you told, if you've ever been told this is good advice, you know, if you're in, in a marriage, okay, and you're having a disagreement, don't make it personal. You this, you that, okay, that's a terrible thing to do, all right? Uh, use a lot of I terms, like I feel this about what's going on, and I think this. But the moment you start saying you this, you that, the defensive walls go up. It's not pretty. I'm only telling you what you people have told me. But anyhow, 
you, you can see here, he's, he's not worried about any of that. He's not like, you know, I really feel like you did a bad thing to Jesus. He's like, you know what? You killed him. You nailed him to the cross. In fact, you disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer in this place. Remember when they did that? He's before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate said, I find no cause for this man to be crucified. And they were, and they were shouting, well, we have a custom. You know, you can release one of the prisoners in his place, and we want Barabbas. We want the murderer Barabbas to be released, and you take Jesus in his place, and you, you kill him. And Peter calls him on it. He says, remember when you did that? Remember when you did that? You asked for murder to be released. And Barabbas was released. And Jesus was crucified, the holy and righteous one. And he was crucified on your behalf. And he died for your sins. Why don't you turn and repent from your wicked ways? Now, you'd think after that, they'd be like, that's a little harsh. You know, I don't really appreciate your tone. You know, I'm not accepting Jesus now at this point. Thank you very much. After you talk to me like that, if you could season it with a little bit of love, maybe I'd respond. No, but in fact, notice what happens here. It says, jump down to verse 4 of chapter 4. Look at 4.4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now that's adding on to the 3,000 of chapter 2. So about another 2,000 believed. Now the church is numbering 5,000. People respond to the straightforward message of the truth. You know, sometimes you don't need to water it down, right? You just need to tell people straight up, you know what? All of us are sinners. We're going to go to hell. We need Jesus Christ as our Savior. He's the only one by whom we can and must be saved. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he'll forgive you of your sins. You'll be able to go to heaven when you die. And when we water it down and candy coat it and confuse it, we do a disservice to people. And Peter gets up here and he says, listen, this is the essential thing here. He says in verse 18, notice the back up in verse 18, because I want you to notice the whole, in the whole message here from verses 11 to 26, Peter preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus just like he did in chapter 2. And I want you to notice again, he, he focuses on the word repent in verse 19. Repent then and turn to God. We talked about the word repent last time, but just as a quick refresher, the word repent in the Greek is metanoeo, from two words, meta meaning to change, noea meaning the way that you think, to think. So real repentance is having a change of mind about the path that you're on and turning from that and turning to God. That's repentance. You're going 180 degrees in the opposite direction from the Lord and you turn 180 degrees and you turn towards the Lord and you renounce your life and the path that you were on and you put your faith and trust in Christ. That's repentance. And he calls the people to repent. And there's no other way to come into relationship with Christ, by the way, except that we also repent. We turn from the path that we're on. We recognize we're on a sinful path, a wrong path, a rebellious path from God. And we renounce that path and we turn from our ways and we turn towards God. That's repentance. And he puts an emphasis on repentance here. He says, repent then and turn to God. Notice this. Three things. So that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you. Here's what he says to us. If you repent, if you turn from your wicked ways and you turn towards God, three things are going to happen. First thing that's going to happen is the Lord wipes out our sins. That's the word that he uses here. He says that your sins may be wiped out. It's interesting, it's a Greek word, uh, uh, exalifo. Exalifo is from two words, ex meaning out. And alifo, when I traced it out in in the Vines Dictionary, it really comes from another Greek word, leparos, meaning fat or grease. 
And actually, when we talk about liposuction, it comes from that Greek word fat. When they suck fat out of your body, it's from the same, I know it's a disgusting thought, but it's the same root word that is used here. So it's kind of a weird implication here. What does it mean to be, you know, turn from Christ, repent, that your sins might be fatted out, you know, or greased out? But it's, it's this idea. It's the, it's the effect of smudging or greasing. Some, some translations talk about the oiling out. It is the idea of erasing, wiping out, smudging it, removing it. And this is the good work of what Christ does. When we accept him as savior, the Bible says that he wipes out our sins. It's as if we come to God with a big thick book of all the nasty things we've ever done or thought or said. And we give this book to him and he takes it and he expunges out everything. He just wipes out everything. And he returns the book to us. He says, all right, there's, there's no record of your sin now because you've come to me by faith and through faith in me, I have wiped out everything that was recorded against you. I have expunged the record It's as if, you know, the word justified is a great word, and sometimes it can be broken down as just as if I'd never sinned. Because justification in him means that he pays the price for us. He took on our sin in our place, and by his stripes we are healed and we are made whole, and now our record of sinfulness has been expunged. It's been wiped out as far as God is concerned. It's as if it never occurred. And Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Now, it's not as if God is forgetful. What that means is that God is determined once and for all to never hold those sins or offenses against you. Never again are you guilty of those offenses or sins because of what Christ has done. That's what he calls us to, repent, so that when we repent, the Lord wipes out our sins. He also says, and then the Lord brings times of refreshing. That's the other term that is used here. It's an interesting also word in the Greek, anapuxis, which means uh, the recovery of breath. It's It's like the idea of coming to Christ is like finally being able to it's that sense of just completion and contentment. You can draw in a deep breath like, ah, oh, that's, that's satisfied. You know, after like a long, hard day and you go home and you just maybe sit on the couch and you just relax for a little bit and you, you're just vegging a little bit. You just kind of like, ah, it's just kind of the recapturing of breath. It is that sense of just a life that is made whole and complete and satisfied in Christ. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And last thing, Verse 20, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you. And, and it also then tells us that the Lord comes into our lives. That's what, that's what Peter's preaching here. He says, if you repent, if you turn from your ways, the Lord will wipe out your sins as if they never occurred. He will give you times of refreshing and the Lord Christ, Jesus himself, will come into your life. That's what salvation is. That's what it is to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And on this particular day, many, many believe in the truth of what Peter preaches. And what Peter says here in God's word is timeless truth for us as well. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, turn today, turn from your ways, turn to the Lord, 
and let these things happen to you as well. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hammer. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of Acts. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way, you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be happy to meet you. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of Acts. Keep reading on your own in this book and discover so many inspiring and motivating things. Pastor Gary will continue teaching about the amazing acts done by God and His Spirit on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.